A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. My guest on today's show is probably best known for playing Richard Splett on HBO's Veep. But for true comedy nerds like me, he is the enthusiastic MC of the 112th annual Baby of the Year competition. Are they ticklish? Are they jigglish? Can they be tricked? Can they be chucked? Which ones will move? Which ones will talk? But more important, which ones can dance? Who will be baby of the year? This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Sam Richardson on his best friend Tim Robinson's instantly iconic Netflix sketch series, I Think You Should Leave. Starting with what was supposed to be a small guest spot in the third season of Veep, Sam has been a ubiquitous presence in comedy for nearly a decade, popping up on shows like The Office, Arrested Development, and New Girl, before co-creating one of my all-time favorites, Detroiters, also with Tim Robinson. But over the past couple of years, his career has seriously catapulted to another level. From his action movie debut opposite Chris Pratt in The Tomorrow War, to a game-changing two-episode cameo on Ted Lasso. And now, there's The After Party, the Apple TV Plus murder mystery comedy in which Sam leads an ensemble cast that also includes comedy heavyweights like Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, Alana Glazer, and previous guest on this podcast, Ben Schwartz. So now really just felt like the perfect time to sit down and talk about everything it took to get to this moment and what comes next. Here's me with Sam Richardson. I want to start with the after party because I, I got to watch, um, you know, most of it and uh, really, really enjoyed the the series so far. And I know it's still kind of rolling out week to week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, you know, just seeing it, seeing it advertised for the first time, it was the the cast was really what grabbed me. It's a ridiculous cast on this show. Is that part of what appealed to you, or were you kind of signed on before all of that, or how did that all happen for you? I was signed on pretty early, but I knew that was there was going to be there. There was a lot of like, and and these people are talking about. It. I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then just hearing the concept alone, like a murder mystery high school reunion who done it, I was like, that sounds great. And then I was like, oh, but then every perspective every every uh person's perspective is told in a different genre of film and i was like and you're gonna be romantic comedy i was like <laughs> oh that's terrific i'm 100 on board on board yeah are you a big rom-com guy i i am i i, I love me a rom-com uh yeah <laughs> you know so getting to like do the rom-com in the in in this show uh with all like the tropes in the sort of uh hugh grantian sort of uh like camera moves and and sort of like uh charming uh slightly unconfident foibles and like uh, uh, under your breath sort of (laughs) witticisms it was like oh perfect i love it so much (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, um, I saw in an in interview with that, um, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter one, where Chris Miller, who created the show, called you your generation's Tom Hanks, which was a pretty pretty nice compliment in the rom-com world. Tr- truly, the king, in, the in king of world, rom-coms really. in any world, in <laughs> yeah. any world. What was your reaction to that? Was that uh, something he had said to you in person or just something you read when you saw the article? Yeah, just when I saw the article, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's really truly the nicest thing anybody's ever said to or about me. I, cause I love Tom Hanks so very much. And like every performance he's done, like from rom-com to him being what's the name of the, the new robot movie with on Apple oh, TV. Oh, uh, is it Finch? Finch or Finch? Finch. Or Finch, Finch. 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 Yes. Yeah. And I was like, I, I love everything. I haven't seen that one yet, but uh... it's so good. Cause Tom Hanks is just gets to be Tom Hanks <laughs> in a, in a room with a robot and a dog. It's perfect. It's beautiful. I love it. Is he someone whose career you kind of look to and as, as something that you would want to do? Because he's someone who started in comedy and then kind of yeah. branched out from there. And... and then kind of can just do anything. Yeah, most definitely. And like I, th- I think he's just such a uh, well-beloved figure as a person, uh, a, a zero-scandal human, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and just like his performances are always so true. You know, like you've never, I've never seen Tom Hanks faking it. Yeah. Um, I was surprised to learn that you had never really met or worked with Ben Schwartz before because your chemistry in this show is is so fantastic. And you kind of both come from the same sketch improv world, but on different, different places, right? Yeah. Well, we'd met before, but like, you know, always like in passing, you know, always like at a party or something. Uh, but we'd never like really hung out and we'd never like worked together or like anything, anything like that. So like really, truly the chemistry came instantly on set. Oh, Nate, what's going on, man? It's been like two years. Jasper. Good to see you. you. I'm so happy you came. Let me see this new jacket. I know you just got it. Yeah, let me you look incredible. Ah, distinguished. You. you look great. Look well, at you. I don't know. I've been working out a lot. Have you heard of Pilates? I have. I haven't done them yet, but I've heard of them. You know what you could do to up your game? You should probably take my tie. It's basically like an arrow pointing to your dong. Oh, well, Jasper, then what would point to your dong? You just saved my life. You're right. Also, we, you know, we shot this in the, the mid, like deep into uh, lockdown in LA and the pandemic. So it was time where we weren't interacting with any person who you didn't share an address with, you know. Uh, so then to go on set and then like all of a sudden like, oh, my God, friends and people. Was, <laughs> was like, that hard? It was. No, it was like so well. Oh, I yeah. was such <laughs> a welcome excited? feeling, yeah. you know, because like also we were under the mo- we were in the most like safe place. Like we were tested twice every day, a PCR and a rapid test. And like, you, you know, there were all these all these protocols in place. It was like truly the safest place we could have been. And, you know? and clever how they set up the show too, in that it primarily takes place in one location, in one space, you which know? helps with that kind of thing too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so with that, it was like so much fun to get to like hug and like be, have our masks off and be like, Oh, I'm in a, I'm like interacting in a real <laughs> meaningful way. I'm, I'm quote unquote, I'm acting. But, you know, uh, it was truly great. It made it feel like an actual reunion because it was like a reunion from life or <laughs> yeah, to life. That's funny. Yeah. You know? um, I would love to kind of go back to the beginning of your comedy career, because I know you started super young in this in this business, um, you know, back in, in Detroit. So can you talk about how you started doing comedy in, in the first place? Yeah. 
So I went to an all boys high school and, uh, uh, and I started, started, started doing plays and stuff to like get to like meet and hang out with girls. Uh, and yeah, so that's, like, in that, that's, that's why I started doing it too, but I, I stopped I mean? after a certain point, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, that's a, a, a young pubescent, <laughs> it leads you some, that's what, you know, some men <laughs> go to war, some try and get into a play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but my friend was taking classes at second city in Detroit. My friend who was a senior when I was a freshman and I was like, Oh, I'll come see your show. And I was like, Oh, this is like legit the second city, but it's like the Detroit second city. But like, it's, uh, but I'd always known about second city. Cause you know, growing up, I, I'd always like grown up, like loving comedy and, and, uh, sort of, t- and, and, and being like a, uh, television and film obsessed, you know? So like, you know, I knew the whole catalog of Bill Murray and, and every SCTV thing. And, and so I knew the second city. I knew it was like this, this, this like mecca of comedy in Chicago. So I going to see that show, I was like, there is a second city in Detroit. So I would go all the time. And so then they had like these high school classes. Uh, so I, I, I got into those classes when I was like 15 uh, and would just eat it up. You know, my, my friends and I, I was myself my friend Maggie, my friend Julie, and my friend John Paul. And there were four of us who were taking that class. In that time, it was also my friend Bill, too. So there were five of us from, like, our high school friend group who were taking classes, and we called ourselves the Second City Crew, which was so embarrassing. <laughs> That's super uh, cool, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, we're Second City Crew. And it's like, like a little sitcom <laughs> or like a, like a Saturday morning sort of <laughs> children's sitcom. <laughs> At that time, Tim Robinson was, like, performing there, and he was performing at Second City as, like uh, – I think I think he was in the touring company at that time. So I was 16. Tim was like 19. Uh, but, you know, just like got so into it, you know. And he uh, was a teacher. He was a teacher of yours early on. Too? He became a teacher of mine when I went back. So, so you know, at Second City, like I, I, I had been part of Planet Ants, but then like peripherally. So I like go like when I could and like when when I, I was so then in college or right before college, I like dove in head first. Uh, and then I, I got into classes and Tim was my level a teacher in the, in like the second city classes and we became best friends. Uh, I jumped up through the, through the, the, the classes, went into the conservatory, uh, second city conservatory. I think I finished when I was like maybe 19 years old. Um, and, t- but, and, but then I was already doing shows. And so Tim and I became like fast friends through that. What was he? What was he like as a teacher? Because you know his sensibility now is is like so specific. Um, was it was it that way always? Do you think, or was it? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it definitely was. I mean, of course, we we're all honing our our personas and our skills and all these things as we get older and and you know get better. And this this was literally twenty years ago, you know. Um, but he, Tim Tim was Tim, and like I think part of like him being so, he was always like the funniest improvisers. So, like everybody would like just. You, you couldn't deny watching a, a, a scene with Tim in it that you're like, ah, oh, this scene is handled. Don't worry. You can go anywhere. He, he'll make this thing work. He'll bring him with a bold character, but that character will have like a perspective that's like so unique. But that was, you know, that was, that was Tim. Uh, and we just became fast friends. Like, like so, so yeah, we, uh, <laughs> uh, is there, is there something that you still think about that he taught you in those very early days that you still use? Um, well, the, the second city had like a, a curriculum pretty tight. So you just like kind of like doing those things. So I, I, could, <laughs> I, I couldn't like really point to a specific thing, you know, 
but just sort of, sort of like just general um, uh, sort of just like response, like listening and responding, which is like just like a ten of improv. I think he just like it, he embodied that so well. That, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at your early credits, I think some people might not realize that two of your very first gigs were Arrested Development and The Office, which is insane. Um, <laughs> Truly. As to two, you know, absolute classic comedy shows. Um, <laughs> how did how did that happen? How do you go from, you know, taking classes at Second City to uh, to getting those uh, those gigs pretty early in your career? Uh, well, if you know those shows, there's a there's there's a common thread in those, and that is Allison Jones is who uh, did, yes. was the casting director of that. So I was performing at the Second City in Chicago. You know, years later, uh, uh, Tim and I actually did two shows together. And while performing there, um, Allison Jones came to see a show. Uh, and so when I was like kind of like courting moving to L.A., I went out and I had a meeting with Allison, and she was like. I saw you second city. I love you. You're terrific. I am going to get you work. I guarantee you this. So I was like, Oh, okay. Did you know who she was at that point? Uh, I mean, yes, but I, but not really, you know, the significance of it. Yeah. The significance. Exactly. Cause I remember, I I, I remember meeting her when she'd come and like for Chicago and and, and whenever they're like, this person's coming, you're like, Oh, okay. Is this the career? Great. This is the moment. (laughs) And I'd had so many close brushes uh, were like, cause you know, SNL had come to see the show. So Lauren had come and seen, seen both of the shows I was in and I'd gone to screen test. And that was those before days. those, that was before the office. That was like when I, yeah. that was before the office, that was like when I still lived in Chicago and I was still on the main stage of second city. Uh, and so yeah, I had screen tested and that's like where I got my agents and my managers at that time. You know, from that, Steve Levitan came to see a show and then like, I, I like went on tape for an audition for them cause he was like, that guy, I want him to do this thing. And so I'd, I'd auditioned for uh, a part on Modern Family and I and, and then all of a sudden I like, was auditioning for like a lot of pilots and things. And I would always come very close. I'd do like a lot of re-records of things. And then I would see like a lot of times when I improvise something in a, in a, in a, in a tape, I'd get the, the, the new script like, all right, let's do a reread. And then I see that the, the script had like things <laughs> that I'd improvised in it. And I'm like, oh, and okay, then you still And then you still don't get the part? I still didn't get the part. So then they were, so my agents and managers were like, all right, well, it's time to move. It's time to come out to LA if you're going to do this. And so I was like, all right, move. And I had been meeting with Allison Jones. She was like, I'm going to get you working. And so from that, uh, she got me on Arrested Development in like this one scene gig where it's like me as a TSA uh, agent. And I'm like stopping uh, Michael, uh, 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 Michael Bluth or uh, uh, Jason Bateman. And like, oh, won't scan. I don't remember. I don't even remember the the line exactly. So that gig, and then immediately after, I got on The Office as a uh, in that. It's in the final season, right? In the final in the final season, yeah. Where Jim starts a sports management company in Philadelphia, and I come in as his uh, his college roommate who is starting this company. I'm like, you let's start this company together. Uh, but you know, that's, that's like two of my first ever, like literally my two first ever TV credits. I mean, that's and wild. It was crazy. And like the, the office role, apparently it was supposed to be bigger than it, it, than it ended up being. You're in a bunch of episodes, but maybe not as much screen time as you, as you thought. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Like who are you going to bring this new guy from out of nowhere yeah, and like make, yeah. make him like a star <laughs> of the show? It does not, it would never happen like that. But I learned so much from being on that set, you know, like learning how a set works really 
because it's it's, because like being a rest development was like a learning experience and like learning how tv works but like learning how but that was one scene yeah it was one scene you know but then like this one like learning how a day a full day works how learning how a full week works learning how like all this like was invaluable uh so it really was the best uh learning experience and then allison jones also was the the casting director of veep so like those those three bing 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 yeah, I mean, uh, and and Veep was obviously ended up being even an even bigger break than you probably even knew at the time that it was, right? I had no idea, and it was supposed to be a one episode gig, and and it kind of just went so well that they brought me back for a second episode, and then they would just kind of fly me out to Baltimore and be like, "We're gonna maybe try and write you in this episode, and so we'll see." And I was like, "Oh, sure," and I had <laughs> you're no just, job. You're showing up just in case. Yeah, like truly. And I was like staying at the Four Seasons all these times, just kind of like there. I'm like, this is the nicest gig. I hope somebody doesn't realize that they've made a mistake. And, you know. That that character of Richard Spled is so great and so specific um, and really kind of evolved over the seasons. Um, Did you, what, what was, who was the character when you, you know, first started on the page? And then what do you feel like, you know, you were able to to bring to it or, or evolve it over time? Uh, I think the, on, on the page, the whole idea was just that he was just incompetent, you know, but like he was just, the, the idea was that Julia or Selena was on a book tour uh, and she didn't have any of her normal people around her because at, at the same time, it was Mike's, uh, Matt Walsh's, uh, Mike McClintock's wedding. And so everybody was at the wedding. And so she was on this book tour on her own. And so she had to have this temporary person. And so it's supposed to like kind of show how she can't really get along without her, her staff, you mm-hmm. know? So that was so the point. Yeah. So that's the point. So like, she's with Richard, this guy, Richard, who's like, just, just really trying to be a go-getter, but he's just like, can't. So like the idea of like, that he's incompetent. So like kind of like playing, playing that, like, like looking at that and like, like re-improvising off of that and like trying to find, finding the space in there was like just such a fun sort of uh, game for me to sort of find ways to be annoying. Cause like that, that was, a, that was another trait of his. He was like annoying, you know, which that kind of had to like disappear as he became, but like in this time, you know, him being annoying had to be like, Oh, I, I got to get out of here. I got to, I don't, I don't want to be around this guy anymore. You know? So like so, sort of find those things like, like find that, that, that bold confidence, but like, it's a lie. But like, but he also like believes it. That was kind of like where Richard started, and then as he like became part of the group, it it became really more that he was just he was just supremely confident. And then the game also being that he had like so many skills and qualifications in history that he like <laughs> is a truly a perfect candidate for things that you wouldn't assume. And in that first episode, you know, she's supremely annoyed with him. Uh, and then like constantly annoyed with him, but he keeps on just showing up. But as the show goes, there's kind of a shift where she trusts him, where Selena trusts Richard more than anyone and just loves Richard so much. So it was like a quick, a quick but like subtle shift because that, that comedically that works so well because like she hates everybody. But then this one guy who is just like kind of like this, this doe-eyed guy that she thinks he's the most savvy, you know, sharp wit in the room was like a very funny comedic. And it gives it gives all the other characters a reason to hate him too. Exactly, exactly. that she loves him so much. Exactly. Um, I was just watching the scene where he uh, becomes the sperm donor for Selena's oh, yeah. daughter, which uh-huh. is I feel like we learned a lot about Richard in that scene. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, just so naive and innocent. <laughs> it's so good. Wow. 
I can't believe I'm gonna be a father. A lot of responsibility. You just signed away all responsibility. Never done this before. You just go in the room and uh, build uh, it. Never shook the devil's hand. Is, oh. You mean masturbate? Oh, self-husband. Does it hurt? Oh, no, no Richard. It, no, but it how, how is that Wait, possible? Really? Well, my family and I was pretty religious. Grandma Split always said that self-pleasure was a sin, like microwaves or laughter. Do you what? need a minute or? A... No, worse comes to worse, it burn in hell like Grandma Split. He has a, a really good heart. I'm sorry, I'm still understanding how the cup comes into play. Oh, you 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 just have to aim and and what? I don't know how many of these I need to fill up. Yeah, no, you, you just have to do one. Just one, okay, yeah. I think that'll be easier. How will I know when I'm done? And, you know, I'll figure it out, I'll uh, probably figure it out. What'd you learn working with Julia Louis-Dreyfus so closely? Because she's just a, a legend in the, in the comedy world as well, and, and especially on that show. Comedy superhero. And like in that show, like untouch- untouchable, like truly super, super powered. Like she must have like a magic talisman or something that like gives her the powers of comedy that she has because she's incredible and like such a humble, but like confident person. Uh, but I learned so much about like, first off, like, like being real with like jokes, like, like grounding things and, and like sort of like the, the line that you need to follow for whatever. And I mean, that's not to say that every tone is going to be the same in every project, but like knowing that and matching that and being consistent with that uh, was something I learned from Julia and also like sort of varying takes and like knowing that, that you've got this moment and you're trying this moment and you're trying to get the specificity of this moment. So if you have the specificity of, of this one moment, then you can change that and have something different for that next one. And you all find that thing together. Uh, was something I just like watched her and like I kind of just saw her do and like her timing is remar- is musical. It's remarkable. Yeah. Um, I feel like we, it's like, we can't really spoil the show now it's been on for so long, but I guess, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen the end, um, you know, maybe skip ahead, but what yeah. was your, what was your reaction when you, when you found out, when you read in the script where Richard ended, ended up in that finale? Well, you know, it had been a rumor around, uh, like by season five, it was like, you know, Richard's going to come, you know, I was going to go to the top and I was like, Oh, cool. I wonder <laughs> how, I wonder how that works. <laughs> you know? So then like, as seeing it as they like played out and as the seasons go and like, you're watching like Richard kind of like climb very subtly and, 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 and like fail upward or like rise the ranks or like showing that he has like these skills and like having everybody like kind of like be like taking an eye to him was like a fun, it was like really cool to, to kind of like, sit in that and like in in the back seat of my or in the back back of my head be like oh i wonder if this is happening for him coming up sam talks about his many collaborations with tim robinson including on one of the funniest most underappreciated shows of all time detroiters and later we also talk about that truly inspired ted lasso cameo I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our conversations with some of Sam Richardson's co-stars, like Veep's Tony Hale, Champagne Ill's Adam Pally, The After Party's Ben Schwartz, and everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Sam Richardson. So I feel like we have to talk about Detroiters because it's it's really one of my favorite shows that I've seen in a long time. I have to admit that I didn't watch it when it was on. I, I binged it during the pandemic. Well, then it's your I know fault. I'm in, it's my fault that it got canceled after two seasons, but <laughs> it's so good. And, and you have those two perfect seasons that are still available for everyone to watch. And I, I really, really, really enjoyed watching it, um, oh, you, you know, this, this past year. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about, you know, where that came from and you kind of you got this opportunity to to make a show uh you know with tim your friend for a long time um how did you decide you know what you wanted the show to be and how did it become you know what it was well so tim was at snl uh and i was in la we'd both like left second city in chicago and we'd both so and we were both on either side either coast of of the, the states and Tim was working with Jason Sudeikis, who we'd both become friends with because he would come back to Second City when we were on the main stage and he'd come and play sets and, and he'd hang out. We'd, we'd drink together, smoke weed in the in like the back <laughs> stage area. It just became like really good, really nice friends. And so he was working with Tim at SNL uh, and and Jason was like, oh, I'm going to start a I'm going to start a production company. And uh, I think you guys should do a show together. You, you guys should by all means do a show together. And then we were like, of course, we'd love to. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course, we'd love to. And so then the idea was like, well, what do we want the show to be about? But Tim and I are always just all about Detroit, nonstop. We're talking about Detroit, like Detroit this, Detroit that. You know, everybody would even be annoyed backstage. Like, we get it. You guys are from Detroit. Okay. <laughs> but like, you know, that's like a huge part of, of our identity in, in, in my identity. So the idea was like, well, no matter what, it's going to be about Detroit. And it went through these sort of like different phases where at one point, the idea was that we were just two guys who were working in like a toll booth and then they'd just kind of go off an adventure. They were working in a Detroit toll booth and then they just kind of go off on a, in these adventures. And we're like, okay, that's, that's fun, right? Can we figure something out there? And it's like, then as we would kind of hone it in, we were like, well, what's something that can speak to our like experiences, you know, stay, we can stay like sort of like blue collar to some degree, but like sort of incorporate our, uh, our strengths and our like knowledges and like we, we and we know about comedy and comedy writing we don't want to make it a show about like all oh, these two comedy writers and comedy performers who live in detroit it's like that's not that's it not doesn't make a lot of sense doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense you know <laughs> yeah. and it's not identifiable and it's not true to what you know if, if it was that then they'd be working they'd be living somewhere else you know as we do 
But we're like, well, we do love uh, those commercials, you know, like like local local TV ads are something that's just so dear to like Detroit. I feel like such a big part of Detroit's identity. I mean, maybe they're, they're part of everybody's identity, but Detroit feels like it has like the some some of the most <laughs> unique and and uh, interesting ones. And there's so many of them. So we're like, well, why don't we be the guys who make those? And then you can like really have and and with uh, and, and so, so like these, these guys who make these local commercials and like the, the aspirations of like trying to to better yourselves and, and rise yourselves up, like Detroit, you know, aspiring for greatness. Uh, the, the the auto industry exists there, so the idea being like they they've been striving to like really land a big account at an at, a, at an auto agency, and and like Detroit. Like this ad agency that they work at uh, was this once great, you know, uh, pillar of the, uh, of of the industry where, where Big Hank Cramlin had the best ad agency in town. Everybody knew the guy was like so charming. So like now it's dilapidated in this thing. But with the, with the people who are there still believe in it so much and just want it to grow. That parallel is, was like, oh, that makes it just a great or like, a, like it gives you really something to like care about when you're writing it and like like. Uh, doing it so that kind of all worked itself out into the show yeah i love how the your you kind of work sketch ideas or or sketch premises into the into the series as well um yes. you know i'm thinking about the the uh the wingman scene in the bar so chrissy made me a dairy-free dinner last night it was actually pretty good god i love her honestly every day i wake up i'm so thankful to have her when are you gonna settle down man can you help us settle a bet? Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. We're talking. Move it along. Thanks. Seriously, man. When are you going to settle down? It's amazing. Yeah, Tim, I do want to meet somebody. Then what is stopping you? Hey, I like your shirt. That color looks great on you. Oh, oh so you just interrupt people? Is that your whole gig? You interrupt folks? We don't know who you are. <laughs> Later, dude. Seriously, why are you not settling down? Because of you, Tim. It is impossible to meet girls around you. Okay, that's insane. Oh yeah, sure. Okay, I'm insane, man. Suit yourself, man. Giving you advice. What if he's right? What if he is insane and I'm just a figment of his imagination? When we were at Second City. Tim was the worst wingman. It was just, just a fact <laughs> of life. Because Tim wanted to, because we, first off, like we were together every, again, like, like on the show, we were together every day, seven days out of the week. So out of, on Second City shows, we we did eight shows a week. Uh, every day but Monday, two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday. Uh, so six out of six out of seven days we were working. And then on Mondays, we would just hang out and we'd go drinking, you know? So we would see each other every second. We would just always be, you know, in each other's back pockets. So uh, after we performed a show, I was single. You know, I was like having a good time. Top of my game <laughs> of, of Second City Improv, the, the best job you can have as a comedian in Chicago. I would go out afterwards and like, you know, two and a half hours of comedy and like they'd be talking to girls who had seen the show and they'd be like, oh, that's this. And or they'd come up to the table and Tim would be like, enough. I'm trying to talk to my friend. And I would get <laughs> so mad. I'm like, Tim. You are married to your high school sweetheart. This 
if this is the only t- I like, I can't hang out with you all the time. But all he wanted to do was just hang out with me. You know what I mean? All we want to do is <laughs> hang out with each other. But I'm like, I got to also have. So you, when we leave, you go to your wife and your kids or eventually kids, your wife. I am just like kind of I have to then go out after we go out so I can at least just hang out and meet people. <laughs> but he was just like always this like entirely offended when somebody would come up to the table and talk to us. It's like, oh, they, they didn't have anything to talk about. I was like, yeah, because it was like subtle flirting, Tim. He's like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have that, and I don't understand I, that at all. Yeah. I would hope that in, in real life that he took it uh, better than Tim on the show takes it. When, when, not uh, really, not, honestly. Not really. <laughs> oh, maybe slightly better. One thing when I was looking, reading about the, you know, the history of Detroiters, um, one thing that I read was that Comedy Central sort of tried to push you to incorporate your racial differences more into the show. And that was something that you resisted. What's the, what's the story there? I mean, cause that it's, it was interesting to hear that that was the discussion. Well, I, I think it seems like just uh, chip stuff on the table. You're like, Oh, well this is something that could clearly cause, but one of their main things are like, we're, they're like, we're, we're trying to find what's different about these two guys, you know, like are they just two of the same guy? Uh, what's different about these guys? Maybe you guys are talking about like the the fact that like you know one this guy's black, this guy's white, and like the, you know that maybe Sam is is uh, always trying to leave the city, and Tim is is trying to stay or stick around. We're like, well, no, the whole like Tim and I are friends. That's a real life because we are so similar to each other, and we love each other. Like, like that's why that's why they do the same thing. Like they, they them two two dogs fighting it can be funny, I guess. But two dogs like getting into the trouble like together is inf- infinitely more funny. You know what I mean? And then two guys who hype each other up on the same like wavelengths, that's funny. It's it's these two and the world is different, you know? So like sort of, sort of having to fight those notions because like, I, I, you know, like you always want to do what works, right? Especially if you're, uh, you have a network and you, you want your TV shows to go out there and, and like you, you want everybody to absorb it and be like, this is the best. Uh, I, I identify with that. So some of the notes are going to be like, oh, we'll make this like something up, something else that already exists. They were like, well, if it doesn't exist, then we'll make it exist, you know? So that was like a fight. But I, it, it, and I think it wasn't until like we really started to get those scripts and like do the readings that they were like, okay, we, we get it. Because we knew our comedy identities very well and our back and forth and our relationship better than anybody else would. So they had to just like trust us and they did eventually um yeah and that but so that didn't kind of play into the show getting canceled ultimately after two seasons um i don't maybe it did i don't think it did though uh i think what what led to the show getting canceled was that we had no like well streaming uh comic central was not playing the streaming wars at all but they were holding us to a standard that of, of shows that were uh because hulu yeah that's that's hard you know it really is because like our numbers were steady and they were growing and they were comparable to other comedy central shows they were great but broad city was doing massive numbers broad city was also on hulu you know so people could discover the show there yeah and watch it there and then they tune in for the new season because they're like oh well we know who this is but then like when we didn't match broad city's numbers they're like well this show must not be good nah and I'm like, well, that's brutal, brutal and unfair. And yeah. also a new and executive you, comes in. That, that new executive is always looking to purge things that mm-hmm, they, they didn't have mm-hmm. a hand in. And yeah. start new They're things like, this isn't my show. So I want to. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, and you, I remember you had, you know, a big, there was a big campaign to try to save it, including, you know, Seth Meyers wrote a big op-ed about it. And, um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, but 
I think it's, you know, it is at the same time, you know, gave you a chance to go on and do so many other great things, um, yes. you know, including uh, eventually, um, you know, I know it's not your show, but you do appear in I Think You Should Leave, which is another favorite yeah. of mine, which, you know, it's interesting think, talking about streaming versus not streaming. I mean, that blew up in a much bigger way than I think anyone expected, probably because of the Netflix effect and because people could could see it so easily and, and watch it, it over and over again. And, you could find it. The way, like, it, it it didn't even require advertising. There wasn't like a commercial for I Think You Should Leave. It was on TV that yeah, people exactly. tuned into. But like word of mouth, this, it was easy to find. You click down, boom, you find it. Great. With Detroit, I'm sorry to jump back on Detroiters though, but like, or, or other shows that I've done that have, have like not had the success that I think some of them, like, like not outside of myself, I think some of them deserve, is that people didn't see them because they can't find them. On the streaming service, uh, so once it got into streaming, because the, the Comedy Central was using the Comedy Central app, uh, and the, the app was like, well, nobody, well, what's the Comedy Central app? So you have to download the app, you have to like sign up, you have to find this thing, you have to use a password from this thing, you do all these things. And every step of the way, if you're using like an Apple TV or a smart TV, you're being shown all this other content before you get to the thing you're looking for. Inevitably, that it's just going to keep keep on tapering off, and you know, as as every bright thing, because you're being advertised all these other shows as you try and click through. And if you are already on the fence about like trying something new, and then they're showing you up something else that they've spent money on advertising, you're going to like stop and watch that thing, you know. So luckily, I think you should leave. It's like new comedy. They, you know, they uh, the way Netflix's sort of promos go, like they, they catch you with the sort of s- sounds in the little, little preview video. You click it. It's like 17 minutes in the episode, 15 minutes in the episode. You watch one, you hook the next one. You get through the whole thing in a couple hours. Easy to absorb and also like so impactful. It was set up for, you know, uh, uh, success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, and it was so interesting to see too how much it did permeate the culture with memes and with, you know, just becoming a, a touch point for people. And I, I wondered if you had any thoughts about why, you know, Tim's sensibility, which you know so well, worked better on Netflix than it did on SNL, where I think he was often relegated to like, you know, the last 10 minutes of the show and, um, you know, didn't have maybe the same success there that he has had, you know, on this show. Well, I think it's it's just because uh, he got to control the point of views and it was able to, to completely do it from yeah. his, instead of his, trying to fit fit into fit some into other box. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I love the uh, the baby of the year sketch was an yeah. early one that, that you did that was so funny, um, and that was actually a rejected SNL sketch. That was something that was pitched at SNL. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and so then, how how did you get brought in to to star in that one? Well, Tim Tim sends me like the scripts of the of the, of the show, and, and you know, even just to get other eyes on them. And so he sent me that and the the uh, Ghost of Christmas Futures. Like, what do you think about these? I'm like, oh, hilarious. Do you want to do one of them? I was like, I want to do both of them. So I was like, sure, because like also Tim knows that I know how. The, the the intention of the writing so that I so I will get that and then I'll I'll be on on the day also I get I get this guy you know I understand him from his inception the kind of twists and turns in the and the sort of neuroses and the turn a dime sort of character shifts I know that and I we improvise as those things there's no explanation needed <laughs> no explanation needed you know what I mean it's just like I I follow that stream of thought I am the ghost of Christmas wave future. I've already met the ghost of Christmas future. I said wave future, Scrooge! 
What are you here to show me? Christmas in the year 3050. Skeletrix and his Bone Brigade have enslaved the human race, and we need your help. What are you talking about? Bonies are slaughtering humans by the millions, taking their bones and using them to make more bone soldiers, and more important, fleets of bone cars. What? what? Friggin' bonies! But I've got a plan. We've got to kill Skeletrix. He's huge! He's 15 feet tall and he has bones the size of tree trunks. Oh yeah, I almost forgot! He carries a club made of lava! Damn you, Skeletrix! I did wonder if the popularity of I Think You Should Leave opened the door at all to reviving Detroiters, bringing it back. Is that something that you uh, is on your mind at all or something that you would even want to do? Uh, well, it's always on my mind. I, I always want to leave the possibility open for getting to do more Detroiters. It seemed like it was going to happen for a while there, but that kind of fizzled. So, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe down the line somewhere. We, we I, If somebody called me and said, do it, to, tomorrow i would say well i couldn't do it tomorrow but maybe the next day i mean maybe when the two of you are in your 60s or something you could revive detroiters yeah, and that yeah. would be something <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it'll, it'll certainly have a bunch of new storylines i know there's also a connection between detroiters and your incredible performance on ted lasso which uh was was uh pretty recent um can you explain the uh the connection there and, and how you ended up on ted lasso yeah for sure uh so detroiters when created detroiters it was myself tim uh zach cannon and joe kelly uh we all created the show together uh joe uh, uh zach and, and tim were writing partners at snl they shared an office and they would write all their scenes together and joe was a good friends with Jason Sudeikis. And then, and I was introduced to Joe when I moved out to LA because like we were getting lunch. It was like, so, oh, me and my friend Joe, he was a writer at SNL. Uh, he wrote on, on How I Met Your Mother, Trust Him. So like in someone to know while you're out living out in LA. So I was like, oh, okay. So I met, I met Joe and I loved Joe. Uh, and then, so when it came to, so then Joe went back to write at SNL. And so the three of them were together. And then when we were coming up with this show, uh, we were like, well, the four of you guys should do this. Uh, and so Joe, along with our friend Brendan, uh, Brendan Hunt, and Jason created uh, Ted Lasso together. So, uh, and, and Jason, being a producer of Detroiters, now created this show. Uh, they, they had a, a character named Sam Obasanya. Who, they have a character named Sam Obasanya. And I saw that and I was like, oh, Joe, the, the, Sam, this is not chance. Because he's a Nigerian soccer player, like a very nice, you know, bright-smiled Nigerian soccer player. And I was like, is this supposed to be me? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. It's, his name is Sam. So, Because I'm Ghanaian. Uh, so as after the first season, the second season, Joe was like, hey, we've got a, we're, we're working on something for you. I think uh, are you available. And I was like, I mean, of course I'm available to hang out. Sure. And then like looking at this thing, it's like, oh, it's going to be a goddamn billionaire. Uh, and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I can do that. I, that's, that's my bread and butter. That's, that's my, that's me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I know, uh, you know, Detroit is, is one half of your, you know, background, but this was kind of, was this your first real chance to draw on your Ghanaian background? Is in This was, this is my first time playing, playing Ghanaian. Anything. I mean, I, I, I wrote scenes at Second City and had scenes in the, where I was Ghanaian at Second City, but never on film. I'd never done any sort of accent or anything on film. So getting to play Ghanaian uh, was like a cool experience for me and like something I, I hadn't done. And it's so funny. I had tried. I was doing I was like so nervous about 
you know, the accent, because it's not my, it's not my speaking accent. It's my family. It's like a lot of family members of my speaking accent. But I was like, all right, well, let me, uh, I, w- I want to do the accent, but I want to like make it something different. Cause I was like, I, w- I want to be like very Britishized, very Americanized, but like Ghanaian. So he's got the accent, but he's like putting on an accent as well. Yeah. Cause he's like, cause he's a billionaire, worldly kind he's of guy. He's a worldly kind yeah. of guy, you know? So like, he's like lost touch with himself in some ways or like all these things and like who the, the characters stuff. So I, so I found this accent that I wanted to, I, I, so I found it in myself and like what I wanted to do, like drawing from this. And I was like, okay, so do the accent. And I'm, you know, it's fun, but man, Ghanaians on Twitter are like, what is this accent? And I'm like, <laughs> yo, it's like, oh, they should have got it. This accent, yeah, it's not, it's not Ghanaian. It's doing a Nigerian accent. I'm like, well, it's not Nigerian. It's not Nigerian. This is a, it's a Ghanaian accent. It's not your Ghanaian accent, but you got to remember there's a bunch. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 the vitriol, I was like, yo, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, and also like also having my own, being the only accent. So so it's me and playing across from Tohib, who's Nigerian, but that's not his speaking accent. So like all we're only talking to each other. So it's gonna bleed into one another because we're <laughs> everybody else is yeah, English and then exactly. I'm more American. So like I can hear I'm like like oh I can see the little uh <laughs> I can see where you can hear Nigerian in there. But, yeah, it's such a it's such a great character too because we really have to you come to like believe that he's this you know incredible guy and, and beautiful yeah <laughs> and then you get you get to do this big turn at the end in that yeah. scene where you really flip out um what was what was it like filming filming that scene and it seemed like there must have been at least a little bit of improv in there for you uh there was there was some improv for sure because uh, like you know anytime you get to do like a screaming tirade it's gonna see, there's just so much momentum <laughs> that you can't you can't help if you're an improviser at all but like kind of say something to like spike these moments and all that but it was so much fun because i'm like screaming in in his face uh and like he's like smiling sometimes and i'm like it makes me like want to just do it more uh and <laughs> again this is like tired and i want to make sure i hit all the points right and say, oh, it's fufu and I'll pump it out and make all shit on your ashes and then do this and then leaving. And like in the rehearsal, there's like this uh, mannequin out in the hallway. So I'm like, oh, then I'm going to take the mannequin out. So I do this like karate kick and I can take it out and I, I broke it and they're like, oh, that was a rehearsal. And the, uh, <laughs> the, the set, that guy was like so upset. He was like, oh, no. not, not so upset, but you could tell he was like, oh, yeah. I didn't know you were going to do yeah. that. And I was like, oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. We were going to use that. <laughs> we were yeah. going to, uh, so don't fully destroy it. But I was like, oh, I was like, I'll make my way out. We'll use this tape. We'll be gone. So I, do it, so, I, so I went from kicking that thing and destroying it to like choking it very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> to, pre- to preserve the prop so I could do it multiple times. <laughs> Sam! Hey! Sam! Yeah. Excellent performance! Yeah, the goal, of course, speaks for itself, yeah, but your tactical discipline. Hey! They are certainly going to miss you around here. Ah, um, <laughs> Mr. Akufo, I truly enjoyed meeting you. I, and I'm so flattered by your offer. I'm sorry, but my answer is no thank you. And I don't believe my time here at Richmond is over. And and for that reason, I have to stay. I hope you can understand. You Nigerian motherfucker! Whoa. You Yoruba trash! Who the fuck do you think you are wasting my time? 
you medium talent piece of shit. Medium talent? I will dedicate my life to destroying you, you fucking asshole. You will never play on the Nigerian national team. You understand me, Pinky Dick? Never. I will buy your childhood home, and I will take a shit in every room, and then I will burn a place down. Yeah, then I will sit there and I will eat Kenke and I will poop on the fucking ashes. I promise you this. Eh? Okay. <laughs> I will never forget this disrespect. Fuck you, Sam Obasaya. Yeah, I mean, this was your first uh, Ghanaian character on TV, but you did do that incredible special with Conan where you traveled uh, yes. to Ghana as That's well. Right. Um, you know, what, what stands out from that experience, you know, thinking back on it? Because um, it seemed like it was a pretty impactful um experience for you i was very impactful uh so that was my first time going back to ghana in like literally like 14 years i hadn't been maybe 14 15 years so it, what was so impactful was it was like getting to go with like one of my comedy heroes conan i I'd grown up watching conan i watched his very first uh episode of you know him uh of his show you know uh late night I watched the very first episode. So I've, I've, no, I've been a fan of Conan forever. And then like to get to know him slowly as going on the, on the show and him being so like nice, getting to, to go there and do that. And like, I'd spend so much time with him was so amazing. And at the same time, it had been 15 years. So many of my cousins and all my family was there as well, who I hadn't like seen or hung out with in so long. But the way that we just jumped right back into step, you know, uh, was incredible. So during the day, I'd go like do the on the street stuff with Conan, have fun at night, go hang out with my cousins, go to clubs, do whatever, and then like rinse and repeat, no sleep. But it was so terrific, truly an experience that I'll treasure forever. <laughs> it's always better to travel abroad with a friend. And I brought a great one, one of the stars of HBO's Veep and a man with Ghanaian roots, Sam Richardson. Uh, do you know how to say hello? No. <laughs> what do you mean? Do you tell me? What do you know about Ghana? Your your mom's from Ghana. My mom's from Ghana. I, I live here back and forth between here and Detroit. Right. Uh, Did you say that you know Detroit better or Ghana better? I'd probably be more more of an expert on Detroit. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, nice to tell us now. Yeah. That we're here. So the final thing that we do on the show is called the first laugh. So I'm going to run through some firsts in your career and, and life as they pertain to comedy. And we can get some uh, some quick answers. So starting is uh, the first piece of comedy that you remember making you laugh really hard as a kid. Um, what's something that you that you really you know connected with very early on in the in the comedy world? In the comedy world, the movie Three Amigos, I used to watch that movie so much, like or like before I completely was developed as like a person who understood <laughs> what the comedy was. <laughs> yeah, that one got you. Yeah, that one got me hard. What about the first time that you knew you were funny? What was something that you did that, that made other people laugh or, or a, a moment that you that realized that you could make people laugh? Uh, an early moment where I knew I could make people laugh. My cousin Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Richardson, would always laugh at bits i would do bits because like you know i like just things that i thought were funny i'd say them and it's like you know just for myself but every time i do one Dwayne would lose his mind and this is like from age seven you know he'd be like ah, la, 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 la. meanwhile the rest <laughs> of my family are like oh would not realize that i'm doing a joke and so they would like either explain things to me and i'm like yeah no i know why i said that was because this is out of sequence with this and i think that's there's something humorous there 
Uh, so like the first person who I think ever thought I was funny was my cousin Dwayne. Hmm. Um, do you, uh, do you remember the first, uh, either improv moment or, or sketch moment on stage that you, that you felt like you were really connecting with an audience that it was really working, um, that was kind of cooking for the first time. Like anybody, like nobody's business. So at the second city Detroit, <laughs> there was, they do an improv, uh, jam. So I, I, I was going to these jams when I was like 15 years old, you know, and like just going to watch, going, going to watch the shows. And then sometimes afterwards they'd have a, the, the audience can come up and do like improv. And like, usually it was mostly students, but like sometimes audience members were brave enough, whatever. So I went up on stage and I, I did it once. And it was, what's a scene, uh, an actor who was on the main stage at the time, his name was Kirk Hanley. He was doing a conducting story. So like all the people were stand, were stand up against the wall and like, you're telling an improvised story and like when, when the conductor points to you, you're telling the story. And then when he points to somebody else, you stop mid sentence or mid word or mid syllable and the next person picks it up and goes, you know? Uh, and so, it, you know, he was doing this thing. And then like me, this 15 year old kid on stage, he, there's like a line that this guy says, like un, unbeknownst to him. Uh, and then he points to me and I'm like, but beknownst to everyone else, something like that. And the audience goes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to try and chase this dragon forever. Yeah, that was it. You were hooked. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Impressionable mind getting a full house to laugh. <laughs> it wasn't that line, by the way, or if it was, it, the, it, it was a real you had to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, often with improv, you had to be there. Exactly. Um, do you have a particularly memorable audition story from early in your career, from those early days, maybe out in LA? Oh, memorable audition story. Um, I, I think, I feel like I've like really just, uh, hidden those away in a Pandora's box <laughs> of yeah. humiliation. You don't want to think about those. You know, I just try not to, um, Maybe one that went really well. One that went really well. Uh, the, the Veep one, honestly. I, I auditioned like twice before for Veep, and I was like sure that they weren't. They, they, they're like they don't like me. I don't know why I'm coming to do this thing. And I, I was like, I'm not even going to go. And I was like, What are you talking about? I am damn near homeless. I'm unemployed. <laughs> I, I live with one of my best friends. I was living with my friend Andy St. Clair at that time. And I was like, looking at the screen, I was like, what am I doing? Let me read this thing. And I was like, oh, I think I get this guy. And I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll wear my glasses for this audition. And I'll wear a suit. So I wore a suit and glasses and went into the audition. And Armando Iannucci, the uh, creator of Veep and, and showrunner at the time, uh, was there. And I was like, oh, okay. The thing. But I was, like, I was like, I think I know who this character is. If not, then I guess I just don't know comedy. So like, I'm doing the, the read and like, I'm seeing him like, huh, yeah, get into it. I'm like, okay. So they would do another read and he could give me some notes. I'm like, yeah, sure. I can incorporate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm improvising and like kind of playing with my phone, using my actual phone for bits and stuff like being on a phone call for like, a, you know, like just, just really just like eating it up because at this point I'm like, I'm not going to get the job anyway. If I'm, if, if I don't, it won't be because I didn't try. Uh, and then I got hired. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you re do you remember, uh, do you have, a story about the first time meeting a comedy hero of yours, um, whether it went well or not well, or what you, what you remember from, you know, getting the chance to meet someone who you really, really looked up to in comedy. First time meeting a comedy hero. Let's see. Um, <laughs> this one was, wasn't, a, wasn't a great one at the time, but now he's like my friend. 
uh, I remember uh, my first episode or my, my only episode of Arrest Development where I was, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was, it was like my first day on a set, you know? So I had my costume on, I'm sitting in my chair and I'm like, ooh, my chair? And I'm like taking pictures of myself and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and I'm a huge Arrest Development fan. So I was like so excited. And, I, and then like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then Jason Bateman can sit down in his chair and I'm doing all this. And he's like, looks at me like, but you got to act like you've been there before. He didn't say the words. <laughs> his just look, because he was like on the phone a little bit. And he like gave me like, like this look was like, bro, you got to chill. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I can see how me doing this is embarrassing. Uh, yeah, he, he taught you something with a look. With a look, he taught me a valuable lesson. Act like you've been there. <laughs> and from now on, I don't smile. Yeah, that's that's good. That's the that's the best way to live is not smiling. <laughs> exactly. And then finally, I like to give uh, comedians a chance to shout out other uh, comedy that's really making them laugh. So, what's something that really made you laugh recently um, on TV, in a movie, uh, live? Anything that that you could think of that really yeah, connected with you? Really makes me laugh. Um, uh, Righteous Gemstones. Uh, I, I, I love Righteous Gemstones. All of those performances are so brilliant. And my, and so good. But my, my buddies. Uh, are on that show so so good uh what's something else that i've uh seen recently oh you know what sorry abbott elementary is so good abbott elementary is brilliant yes brilliant very, very, very funny and steve harvey's uh court show i haven't that one i haven't seen yet he's got a court show and it's terrific because if you watch uh, family <laughs> feud it's that he gets to do all the in-between stuff, but now he's the judge of a court. Now that's the whole show. That's the whole show, and it's so much fun. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for doing this, Sam. This was really uh, really a lot of fun, and um, I've just enjoyed your work for a really long time, and um, this was a pleasure to get to talk to you about it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is wonderful. I love to talk about myself, so this is the opportunity to do that. Great. This is the best place to do that, Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you again to Sam Richardson for being my guest on today's show. The After Party is currently streaming on Apple TV Plus, with new episodes released every Friday and the big finale going up on March 4th. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.